Hi, and welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Timonini. Today, I'm speaking with Tony Award winner John Lloyd Young, best known for his role as Frankie Valley in Jersey Boys on both stage and screen. Young is getting ready to kick off the holiday season in style with a special live-streamed holiday concert on Friday, December 4th from The Space in Las Vegas. In this episode, John and I talk about what are his must-have songs and styles in any set list, and specifically this one in particular, what his childhood Christmas memories are, but also we talk about his experience working in the Obama White House as a member of the President's Committee on the Arts and Humanities. Young talks about the toxic approach that the Trump administration took towards the arts and how the pandemic has further necessitated the need for a comprehensive, conscientious approach to the arts at the federal level. Of course, we will have links to John Lloyd Young's social media, as well as information on how you can purchase a ticket to see his concert this coming Friday in the show notes and on broadwayradio.com. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt, and you can find Broadway Radio on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Tony Award winner, John Lloyd Young. We'll just go ahead and dive in. Um, I guess the first place to start is uh, is Happy Holidays. We're just a little bit before Thanksgiving, and you're getting ready for your uh, your Christmas holiday concert. This is uh, kind of exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's um, given the circumstances. I think that we're both, you know, that's you're thinking that too, right? I mean, we're we're oh, yeah. all thinking given the circumstances that yes, I mean, it's it's uh, still exciting to be able to have some sort of semblance of um, what we expect at the holidays. Um, you know, what, one thing that transcends all the, just the last several months of devastating adjustment that we've had to make is, uh, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but now more than ever, we know it's true is music, music transcends. And um, no matter what's going on in the outside world, a little bit of uh, holiday music brings back those old, well, what do the kids say nowadays? Those feels. So <laughs> that's yeah. what my, yeah. I mean, so that's what, that's the, what the intention is, you know, um, to, um, to not sacrifice at least that part of the holidays at holiday concert, which, which is always a, a nice thing to do, a nice thing to partake in a nice thing to, um, you know, be an audience member for. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you said, this year has been strange and difficult and unusual and, uh, and all those different kinds of things. But um, from a lot of people, I think they're looking forward to the holidays, even if they can't necessarily celebrate them in the ways that they have in the past, it is still something that can be, like you said, some semblance of normalcy and, uh, and good feelings that even if the rest of the year has been uh, pretty awful. It at least will give people something to look forward to, and I, and I feel like you're exactly right. Whether it's a concert or music or it's the cookies or whatever you're doing, like this is still uh, some sort of light that people can kind of, you know, look forward to in an otherwise kind of dreary year. Yeah, I think so. And then you know, uh, you know, I was just discussing with a friend that we're looking forward to uh, to Thanksgiving again because every Thanksgiving there's you know the Godfather marathon and. For some reason, that's become like a Thanksgiving movie. And um, and there's something really comforting about knowing that you'll be able to. T- I mean, now, 
you could watch The Godfather anytime you want nowadays with streaming, yeah, yeah. on demand, whatever. But there's just something about knowing that they're going to have it on TV all day on Thanksgiving that's familiar, familiar and comforting. So, um, yeah, so I think playing into that, uh, the things that we know make us feel good at the holidays is um, is probably a good, even at the very least, a good coping mechanism for what we've had to yeah. deal with. Yeah, and I'm one of those people. Anytime I something, not that I flip through channels much anymore, but anytime I do, and I notice that The Godfather's on, I watch it. But you're right; yeah. these these holiday traditions, whether it's The Godfather on Thanksgiving or a Christmas story, 24 hours on TBS on Christmas or whatever it is, the parades, yeah. the celebrations, that's part of what makes the holidays. And I feel like we need those traditions and those reminders of the good things even more this year than we normally would and that's what's so great about a concert uh like yours um i want to get to the holiday part of this concert but this is not the first time you're going to be doing a a live you know streamed concert during quarantine but one specifically from uh the space in las vegas i think this is going to be your third one right um how is how is that how has that been? Is that weird to do a concert where there's literally no audience? What has that experience been like for you? It's not weird. And here's why, because I, the space, you know, I live in Los Angeles. The space is in Las Vegas. Right. For people like me who live out here, that's a day trip. You know, it's, 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 it's not too far a drive, you know, so it's basically like going from New York to DC. So, my feeling when the when all this started was, of course, a lot of people asked me to do a song from my kitchen, whatever. I didn't want to do that. Live theater is so electric. You know, I, I'm, I'm someone who's privileged to have done the most that you can do in a, in a role in live theater and the apex of live theater at Broadway, you know, and I've been a theater fan my entire life. Live theater and live performance is so electrifying that to be in my sweatpants in my own kitchen singing Sondheim or something, you know, to me is such, such a downgrade from what I do and what my peers do and what I love as an audience member that, you know, I know we were all suffering in the first few months. It, it was a scary time, but I just couldn't bring myself to make things that banal, you know, um, for myself. So I waited until my friend Mark Chinook, who runs the space in Vegas, it's a place that I played several times live um, over the years, probably maybe six or seven times before we did a live stream. And I waited until his governor allowed him to have basic operations there so that we would have a professional sound package, professional lighting, and so that we could do basically a live broadcast from a space that's meant to be a performance space so that the audience has the feeling of being fly on the wall in a live place. And, and, you know, I'm playing to cameras, which I have some experience with. So it's just a slight adjustment. I've said this before in other interviews about this particular dynamic, but for theater people, there's the idea that when you get out on a stage, you have to play the back row because they're there too. You have to make sure that what you do gets all the way up to the balcony. Well, in a live stream situation, you have to play the front row. 
Hmm, and that's everyone watching on a screen has a front row seat. So that's uh, a slight adjustment, but I, uh, and, and of course, would I rather have a live audience and would a, would a live audience rather be there? Yeah. But this is the, but this is not the worst compromise to make under these dire circumstances. And I have fun and, and I, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of my audience members over the years, especially when I play small rooms like 54 below or the Carlisle in New York or whatever. So I have the feeling of playing to the first row. I know what that's like. And, and I actually even know some of the names of people who are very likely watching. So I still feel like I'm kind of talking to the people that are there in real time. I'm just not seeing them. Well, I don't see them anyway when the lights, <laughs> when the lights are in my eyes, you know, um, from when I'm on a stage. So I know that's a long winded answer, but I, I think no. that essentially the answer is I, I'm treating it like the, the Carlisle maybe where I have to literally play someone who's three feet away from me. Yeah. And you, like you said, you've done two of these uh, before. Obviously this one is going to be, uh, holiday in inspired, but I imagine that some of like the signature songs and the artists that you have done in those previous concerts will bleed over a little bit into what you're doing. So what is this set list going to look like? Is it 100% holiday? Or are you going to do arrangements that people might be familiar with, with, you know, that have uh, become famous from some of these classic artists that you uh, often cover in your shows? It's going to be, it's now I'm, I'm playing right down the middle into that thing. We were just talking about that idea of comfort and familiarity and the things yeah. that, the things that make us, um, you know, uh, feel safe during the holidays. So, ev so I'm thinking of it as think of it as like a warm holiday dinner. Now this is December 4th. It's the beginning of the holidays. So it's going to be probably about half or two thirds, um, really just perennial classic, uh, you know, my specialty because of Jersey Boys is um, throwback, doo-wop, R&B, that kind of yeah. stuff. So Roy Orbison, Little Anthony, uh, Smokey Robinson. And of course, there's always some Jersey Boys in every concert because can you imagine if I didn't? <laughs> You'd have a riot. Uh, You'd have a riot yeah. on your hands. And then, and then what I like to do, which I kind of find to be kind of fun for me and enjoyable for the audience is that once in a while, there's a Broadway song, or in this case, there's some holiday songs. And if I can give those a sort of retro, you know, um, feeling, then I do. So, for example, um, one of the holiday songs I do, I'll, I'll do the Elvis Presley arrangement. So it's automatically Got a it. throwback, nostalgic feeling. Um, and then I, I don't know if you know this, but but one of the things that's very popular at my live concerts before COVID happened are my meet and greets. And sometimes they're so right. popular that they go on longer than the show actually went on. <laughs> and, you know, it can be exhausting, uh, you know, exhilarating, but exhausting. And so that's not possible clearly in a virtual situation. So what we've done the last two times and which has worked out really kind of great because I get to relax and so does the audience watching is that we do we do what's called a virtual after party. So I do a full-fledged concert, the regular kind of concert I would give if I, if we were pre-COVID in a live space. Right. Um, and then in place of a meet and greet where the audience stays after afterward, for those who watch the concert but want to stay afterward, I do a virtual meet and greet. And so I do a Q and a almost like inside the actor's studio kind of sit down with the owner of the space, Mark, and he asks questions that the audience has submitted. 
Um, Tommy Farragher, my music director and I do bonus songs. And because this one's a Christmas one, and you know, people already follow me and Tommy know that we have kind of a, a fun rapport with each other. And, uh, and so this after party is going to promise a gift exchange between me and Tommy. And um, <laughs> I uh, have already chosen his very bright and colorful and ridiculous gift. Oh, awesome. So I'm looking forward to that reveal. And, um, and, you know, the, um, the intent is to just uh, basically have a really comfortable and happy hang, you know, together with our audiences at who are watching on the other side of their screen. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds amazing. And we'll have all of the ticket information for both the concert and the after party and all that stuff uh, connected with this uh, with this interview. But um, I, I wondered, I mean, you are um, for all of the Jersey boys discussions, you are uh, a California boy at heart. Not only do you live there, that's where you're from. Um, what what is like your holiday memories? What was, what was your holiday experiences growing up? Well, I was born in California and then ended up back in California after my, you know, the beginning of my career in New York, but, um, I was a military brat. So, uh, but my, my father and mother were both New York state people. So my dad was from around, uh, the Syracuse kind of area of the state. And my mother was, born and bred in, in Queens, I mean, Italian American, you know, um, that's where I got my, was able to draw from for when I played yeah. Valley, you know, I, I knew the, that type of New Yorker very well because I kind of is one. Uh, so <laughs> um, my, my Christmases and holidays were very much like what we were kind of just alluding to in the beginning kind of, uh, you know, back from college or whatever, or even as a kid home from school, watching movies together as families, oftentimes things like The Godfather, A Christmas Story. Um, You know, I remember one Christmas vacation, I was home and I watched the entire Sopranos series on VHS tapes from beginning to end without stopping. This is before binge watching and before streaming. And uh, so I binge watched, you know, I guess manually and, you know, and uh, I had to get up and put in new tapes, you know, but I, um, I remember, you know, all those warm feelings and the food and everything and, you know, a cold New York state uh, Christmas period where you, you know, you like to be kind of cuddled in at home watching those things. But the, but that particular experience listening to, you know, watching the Sopranos, the whole series I, for the next two or three days with my dreams were laced with so much violence and F words and you know, everything, you know, it's totally, totally infected my psychology, which wasn't very, you know, which wasn't very, uh, you know, season of peace, I guess. But, um, but it, it always, it always involved that kind of stuff, you know, good food and um, sort of uh, staying in from the cold and watching some good movies, listening to, great music nowadays you know where i live in in california um part of my christmas tradition is where wherever i'm driving around you know i I listen to the holiday songs on on xm you know so that's basically it in a nutshell uh the the basics of what a lot of people love at the holidays is sort of you know relaxing and 
and uh, sheltering in, you know, in a, that, well, I guess that is a new con- connotation nowadays, doesn't it? Yeah, it sheltering really does. In place. But the sheltering in place isn't going to feel so alienating now that that's what we basically do at the holidays anyway. So that'll feel familiar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I, I wanted to to mention, and uh, hopefully this is uh, okay. I mean, one of the things that I think you're you know kind of open about and proud about is the fact that you kind of worked in the White House uh, during the Obama administration. And I just kind of wondered with all of the uh, election stuff going on, not that we have to get necessarily into any of those specifics if you don't want to, but just I kind of wondered what your thoughts were about how we're going through this democratic process in the middle of a pandemic and how that kind of relates not only to the holiday season that's coming up, but also to the importance of the uh, of the arts and kind of all of these different intertwining divergent things happening all at once meeting in one place well um you can only fairly say that that working on the arts for a president period but the first african-american president in history you know um and working at the national level advocating arts to um to a, a good degree a part of what i did was was uh was introduced children to the arts and humanities, you know, that was a, yeah. the, the warm and fuzzy part of it, you know, um, clearly that you, you could call that the privilege of a lifetime. I, I would say that with the new administration that's coming in, you know, as we know, most listeners probably are not big Trump fans, you know, uh, but, but, that's but, fair. Some, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. but some are, and, and as we know, I think it's objective to say without criticizing that Donald Trump is a very vindictive person. And so um, and that before he was a presidential candidate, he he had, as we all know now, it, it, he had ambitions to be an insider in Hollywood and was never really fully accepted by the entertainment world or whatever. So that side of the arts, the performing arts, clearly he's given the cold shoulder to for a tough long four years it's very strange to go to the kennedy honors and not have the president of the united states there even if the president is donald trump he's turned his back on the arts because in some ways preemptively because he knew that the arts would turn their back on him something a lot of people don't know is that at the beginning of the administration before so many things have happened that make people want to turn their back you know um, when it was just getting started, literally a month after his inaugural, I was at a dinner in Washington, D.C. with with Vice President and Mrs. Pence, sitting right next to Mrs. Pence and uh, and pitching to her the idea of, you know, working together, Democrat, Democrats and Republicans, and continuing arts advocacy on a national level, because why should the arts go away just because there's a different party in the White House? Yeah. And uh you know, and and that just it it didn't become possible because really just no one else was was in, was welcome at the table unless they were one hundred percent behind and loyal to to Donald Trump, which is you know now a cliche. So again, short story long. <laughs> um, I feel that very hopeful and satisfied that now arts advocacy at the national level are, are gonna become visible again and maybe even more important than they were even under Obama. 
And so, uh, and a lot of us will be coming back. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Some of the people I was sure. friends with during the Obama administration, I'm, it's staggering to me to see where they're going to be promoted to now. I mean, staggering. You know, people I was throwing back drinks with, you know, at the Hamilton restaurant, you know, near the White House a few years ago, are now going to be in charge of of the appointments of everyone in all of the arts <laughs> in all of the Biden administration. I mean, it's amazing to me. So I think we're going to see a resurgence of enthusiasm for that at the national level. We're going to have a seat at the table again. And I don't there's a there's a political quotation that I think is really great. It's Barney Frank. Barney Frank said, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're probably on the menu. And, okay. and you know, arts, arts and the leaders of the arts have not had a seat at the table really for the last uh, several years. And so, you know, they've been eating us for lunch. <laughs> not, not to mention this, um, you know, this pandemic, which has totally stalled this huge driver of culture and the economy in New York City alone. Um, which for my whole life, I've taken for granted that there will always be something there and there's nothing, you know, for, for good reason, you know, for public health, but that really kind of makes it hard to make the argument that the arts are so central and important to daily life if they're not happening. So um, we have a lot of work cut out for us. I think that that argument is always the hardest part about being an artist because so many artists, their argument for being an artist is, Oh, well, you know, uh, for kids who aren't good at sports, they, then they can be in band. That, that's not a convincing argument when you've, you know, the Obama people thought that I was so weird because I was always sounding the alarm that the opposition is a threat. They're going to come for our arts programs. They're going to come for us. We always have to be strategic about how, we're, how we make this argument. And we need to make this argument not to further enrich ourselves, but we need to make the argument for the arts in a way that that is convincing to the other side. People would think, why do we need band uniforms? We have to fund our football team, for example, you know, whatever the cliche. And uh, I always got these weird looks from them. Well, it's funny now that after this administration and there's been not just hostility toward the arts, but hostility toward things that we thought we were in the clear on, you know, now maybe my, my friends from, the committee back then who, when I was serving in the arts committee, who were skeptical of what I, you know, why I was paranoid about this other side that they didn't think existed. Well, look what the hell happened. Yeah. And it was like, it was the guy, it was like, I was the guy on the cliff at Fukushima saying there's a tsunami coming. And everyone was like, you're crazy. And then after the tsunami, everyone's saying a tsunami came, a tsunami came, you know, it's mm -hmm. a little bit lonely to be the one saying something's coming guys. What are we going to do about it? You know? So, by the grace of God or whatever for artists, it's not going to be a hostile national politics toward us. And I hope that we make, I hope that now we know that we have fervent opposition to our livelihood, to the importance of what we do. There are people who think we don't even matter and that, and, and we need to make these arguments for ourselves, but also for, you know, why do we matter? We're a country that doesn't have, you know, like a, a buy-in, like a national theater, like uh, European countries have. Um, and that kind of argument for that kind of thing is going to be even harder now after these four years. And after the, our opposition has been clearly and very visibly in power, and we know they exist now. It's not just a boogeyman that we have the back of our minds. So 
I, for one, am really looking forward to um, making that argument and, um, and, and being a part of that fight and having some people now who understand what I was talking about and that we do have, uh, we do have to start making arguments for the arts on the terms of our, in the terms of our opponents or else they're never going to even listen. Um, and we have to figure out what, how do you make those arguments so that the other side gives, gives a shit, you know? Yeah. I'm hopeful that we can start to figure that out and that we understand now what the stakes always were. Yeah. And I, and I imagine those stakes are, have been raised even more because of the pandemic, whether that's on the personal level, which we see so many artists struggling right now, or on the institutional levels where uh, I'm sure funding and, and allocations have been cut dramatically. So it's, uh, it's become some, it's, it's gone from something that was always really important to something that is even more so now. So, uh, I you know how many times I, I just want, I want to say this cause I yeah. think people can relate to this now. And like what you just said about so many of us are out of work. It's easy to forget sometimes when you're one of the privileged few who go from show to show to show, not all of us do. Some of us win Tony's and Jersey boys and then are typecast and have a hard time finding other parts. Yeah. Know who I'm talking about. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't mean we're not talented or that we're not preeminent in our field. It just means that how can you go backwards from winning a Tony to like being in the chorus? Like it doesn't work that way. So you have to kind of wait sometimes or just accept your fate. But the, but you know how many people have said to me in my face sneeringly now, now everyone knows this because we've lived through four years of being sneered at by people. You know how many people have said to me and to people I know, get a real job, hmm. you know? So we don't, okay. So we don't get to go and show off on a Broadway stage for people and pretend we're better than everyone else. I'm, I'm adopting the, uh, the opposition's language, right? This used to be the language that was the anonymous comments under articles online. This became front and center in our culture now for the last several years, this kind of sneering attitude. Go get a real job. Oh, poor baby, you know, you're not making thousands of dollars a, a week on Broadway showing off. Go, you know, go wait tables. Well, guess what? We can't even do that right now, you know. I, I remember yeah. after I remember after 9-11, you know, I was in New York. I was, a, I was a struggling actor then, you know, working sometimes, but temping a lot. And the first jobs that dried up after 9-11 were restaurant jobs and temp jobs. So all of the things in the economy that supported people who were, you know, Broadway requires people who can do the job. And that means it requires the pool of actors and artists living in New York City available to work when they have something for them to do, right? If none of us can afford to live in New York anymore and all have to leave and there aren't any other support industries for us, when Broadway comes back, what are they going to do? It's going to be slim pickings. It's going to be like, Audra McDonald and, and like, you know, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, everyone else will have moved home to Ohio, you know? So it's, it's going to be a tough, it's, it's get a real job. That attitude toward artists is that's, that's one of our big challenges. Now we don't have a lot of sympathy. And I think part of the reason that artists don't have sympathy is because some of the most visual, most, some of the most visible of us are attention whores. Who, why would you want to help them? You know, people don't understand that a lot of us are just hardworking, working actor types and we're not all spoiled debutantes or whatever, you know, it's, it's, um, maybe it's a marketing problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But it's, I, I think it's going to stay difficult for us, even on the other side. Cause why should someone have sympathy for a spoiled actor? 
it's 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 unfortunately an impression that that people have of us. So it's I feel the pain, and and you know what? For different reasons, I've been very lucky. You know, I I haven't had to tend bar you know for 15 years. Jersey Boys changed my life. I haven't been able to take my pick of roles, but um, you know, but that's the price I'm willing to pay for being so well known for one, you know, phenomenal show. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I do understand what it is to not be able to do what you love and for not to feel like you don't have permission to do it, to feel like you don't have any control over your situation. And so um, maybe there's something to be said for the fact that we're all in this together. And so maybe we'll, on the other side, instead of preening on social media to, you know, show off who was on the red carpet and who wasn't, you know, maybe we'll actually really be a little more authentic with each other and kind of really take care of each other, not in the performative way where we're pretending to be, but like we actually want to re well, what does Biden say? Rebuild better. Yeah. You're damn straight. We're going to have to rebuild and, and, and we're lucky if we can rebuild to half of what we had. So we, we're going to have to like roll up our sleeves and actually do some work that isn't look at me, look at me, look at me, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think we can do it. I think it, it depends, you know, some of us really love this. Believe me, I wouldn't have taken all this humiliation over all these years if I didn't love when I do get the chance to be up in front of that audience. Cause it's, uh, like I said, get a lot of sneering in your face. Why don't you go get a real, real job? That kind of attitude, and it's it's hard to handle sometimes the the disrespect. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, that this this conversation has gone in a different direction than I anticipated, but I so appreciate your your openness and insight into this because I think it's something that is so incredibly important right now of all times as we are hopefully going to start to round this corner. I guess in the next six months, um, hopefully um, at some point, someone is going to have to start really taking a look as to what it's going to take to rebuild, not just the theater industry, but the entire arts communities across the country. So uh, I really appreciate that insight. Um, I do want to just pivot right back to the concert and let's end our conversation uh, on this. You've talked about what this show is going to be like, the types of artists and songs you're going to sing, the kind of the the fun um, banter and everything that that's part of this this uh, this concert. But I wonder, we talked about kind of what childhood Christmases and holidays were like for you. Is there a song, um, whether it's something that's going to be in your set list for this show or not, but is there a song that really screams holidays to you? Is there one that you always kind of think back on as being the one that defines what this season means to you, whether it's one specific song or one song by a specific artist, anything like that? I would say that the, they're the perennial, like the classic ones like Silent Night or um, Oh Holy Night or uh, or like um, the Little Drummer Boy, like those really classic ones yeah. um, just are delectable. And I want, and I want to say something too about about you know in reference to what you said about the 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 interview going in a little bit of a different direction okay that was like look we got to get real during this so if anything we've learned from this pandemic is this is serious stuff and so let's i would hope that we get we have to just get real with each other right when biden comes in and that and we are rebuilding all that stuff i'm going to be a soldier on the front lines of in helping however i can but when we do this concert on December 4th, we are relaxing 
And we are putting all of our fears and worries aside. And we are just going to hang out together and drink some real or vert. I guess you can drink eggnog <laughs> at home. I've got to sing. But I'm yeah. what I'm saying is we're going to get ripped with holiday spirit and just really relax. That's my job as an entertainer when I'm on stage is to take care of the feelings of the audience. When I'm off stage, that's when the other things we're talking about, when I'm, I become like the soldier working out on the streets, trying to make things better as much as I can. I don't have as big a platform as some other people. There are going to be some people that are going to really, really be front and center with that. I can already guess that Lin-Manuel Miranda will be front and center. He has a huge platform. If he says something, millions of people hear it. And so, um, you know, we'll all do our part as a team to help, uh, you know, as we said, rebuild, but for December 4th in my concerts, none of this serious stuff. <laughs> it's totally, <laughs> we're totally going to relax and I'm going to do what I get paid to do, which is to take care of the room of people and take care of feelings. Believe me, you're not going to sludge through any of the uh, difficult stuff. It's going to be escapism, escapism, escapism yeah. and great yeah. singing. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, uh, if I don't say so myself, uh, <laughs> it's the holiday. You can, yeah, after everything we've been through, feel free to pump yourself up. I think everybody who is listening to this knows very well the uh, type of performance they're going to get from you. Uh, but I super appreciate all this. I'm very much looking forward to the concert. I, you know, you live in California. I actually live in. I'm in Florida, so it's it's oh. very hard for me to get into the holiday spirit too early because it's still you know it's i'm looking at my little thing here it's 77 degrees outside it's hard for me as somebody who grew up in the midwest to get into that holiday spirit while it's still so hot outside uh but it's things like this that always kind of be like oh okay it, i i snap my fingers and i'm able to kind of get myself in so i'm very much looking forward to the concert and uh we'll of course have all of the information how people can can check that out in the uh, article and in the show notes but uh i i really appreciate you taking the time to do this and going into all of this stuff i'm a, a big fan and even more so now after having gotten the chance to talk to you about it well thank you and maybe we'll i'll encounter you in florida because you know i've got i'm there a lot when, mm -hmm. when things are back yeah. you know i'm there a lot well I, I, I appreciate it and have a great holiday and again you know like we'll all do our part to bring back what we love in the meantime we make the best of these situations and hope to see um hope to have a lot of your listeners um tune in and uh take a break from all this uh tumultuousness